Hello out there to all my loyal listeners, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Ice, your host, and I'm going to be discussing the Wednesday night and Friday night game. So Wednesday night, 2-1 to one loss in a shootout to the Ottawa Senators, and then on Friday night, another 2-1 to one loss in overtime to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, so I've talked quite a bit in this podcast, sometimes jokingly, but I think mostly truthfully about how often this team skates to 2-1 to one ending scores, and they've now done it five out of the last six games. So I don't think we've seen a stretch like that over the last year and change, but this team has really gotten into a scoring rut. Right now they stand as the worst scoring team in the NHL. They've scored 27 goals in 14 games, and I know that they're missing their most dynamic player in Jack Eichel. But I don't think adding him to this mix all of a sudden makes this a good offensive team. I don't think he makes that much of a difference to take you from being the worst scoring team in the NHL to being a, you know, an average or above average offensive team. I don't think one player makes that much difference. As much as I love Jack Eichel and love the impact that he makes, I just think this team has fundamental flaws up front that aren't going to be solved until either... Bilesma's gone and the system has changed or until more additions are made up front. So both of these were relatively frustrating games. Not very entertaining. I think Sabres-Senators games have not been entertaining over the last handful of years. You know, with the Sabres being horrible in the tank years, obviously, very few games the Sabres played were very entertaining. But the Senators, they're always in that purgatory where they're hovering around a playoff spot they don't have many dynamic players they're just not very entertaining to watch and then obviously the Devils seem like they've been like that for 15 years where they always play a fairly low scoring system they limit the scoring chances of opponents now they have fantastic goaltending with Corey Schneider and you know they had pretty fantastic goaltending pretty much up until when they got Schneider with Martin Brodeur, he fell off the last couple years that he was there, but they've had consistently good good goaltending and systems that consistently have limited scoring. And then the Sabres now have a similar system, you know, one of probably the least offense-generating systems in the NHL, and that, that's Bilesma's point. That That's what he did last year, wanted to keep games close, keep them low-scoring, and if the game is tied or the Sabres are ahead by a goal, you're not going to see them attacking in the third period. You're just not going to see it. And that's been Bilesma's MO since he got here. So really Sabres games in general this year have not been entertaining to watch because they can't score and the system does not help in that regard, does not help them score. Uh, and they're missing their most dynamic player. And then you have two games back-to-back against teams that have tended to play the Sabres similarly and have tended to play them to a lot of two-to-one type games, just defensive struggles that are that can be somewhat difficult to get through as a fan, to, to get through as somebody watching the games. And you can tell there's never much energy in the buildings, you know, whether it's in Buffalo or New Jersey or Ottawa. There's not much energy for those games because they just aren't entertaining and it's difficult for the fans to get up for those in the middle of an 82-game regular season when it looks like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a one nothing game or a 2 nothing game or a 2-1 to one game, and there's aren't many chances generated. 
And what the Sabres' flaw right now is, obviously I talked about scoring in general, but it's really generating chances at even strength. That is where this team is really struggling right now. So they're completely reliant on special teams to generate goals. They're relying on their power play to get at least one goal every night to keep them in these games. And they're just not generating chances at even strength. And I've talked about how it's not that this this is not a good possession team, but the Sabres are not good at turning the possession they do have into scoring chances and then turning those scoring chances into goals. And that comes back to a lack of skill. And this entire forward lineup up and down lacks skill. And you were missing O'Reilly during the Ottawa game, during the Wednesday night game. He returned Friday night. But missing him, you saw further fall off. Uh, you see how important he is, how valuable he is to this team. Now you have Tyler Ennis out for, they're saying, probably two months. So there's another guy with skill that you're losing. He, he's been ineffective, I think, more than he's been effective thus far. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a horrible loss or anything, but you're going to be replacing now Ennis with somebody that's less skilled. That's just inevitable. You know, Ennis has proven he can put up offense in this league. He does have skill for all his other flaws. He has skill. So he was one of the guys I've harped on in this podcast. I hope that he was just shaking off the rust, that he would come back, that he would be somewhat similar to the old player that he was prior to all his concussion issues. And we would see an influx of skill from Tyler Ennis that the team didn't have last year. But now that's pretty much out the window for the next two months. So they brought up Cole Schneider uh, to replace Ennis in the Ottawa game. And then Schneider was back in the press box for the New Jersey game because O'Reilly came back. And, of course, Evander Kane also came back from injury. So that was a great addition to have him back in the lineup. Uh, but then, of course, you, you lose Tyler Ennis, and this team's depth issues continue to, to haunt them. So young players are going to continue to have a chance here, even when – Jack Eichel does get back. You're going to have a couple spots for whether it's Hudson Fashing, William Carrier, Nick Baptiste. You know, at least one or two of those guys are going to be able to stick up here for the relative long term. Uh, but it's nice to have Evander Kane back. Nice to bolster the wing depth a bit. And he is a very effective and important player to this team. Now, will he be around after his contract is up? And is he necessarily worth his price tag? Maybe not. $5.25 million is a lot, but compared to the albatrosses we have on this team, Matt Molson at $5 million per year, and then Tyler Ennis at four and change per year, I think Evander Kane is good value relative to those players, and I still don't think his value around the league really would justify trading him at this point or trading him at any point during the season when wing depth is still, still, still such an issue for the team, and he's one of the few real effective wingers that they have on this team. Uh, so I want to talk about the games individually and what my opinions were. Um, in the Ottawa game, that was relatively evenly played, and I was pretty impressed. I thought it was a good performance considering that Ryan O'Reilly was out, and I was talking about how important he is to this team, and it's obvious that this is a fundamentally different team without him in the lineup. But I thought they came out and really had a pretty good performance against a team that's performed well thus far in Ottawa. 
Robin Leonard didn't stand on his head again, uh, but he had a good performance for sure. And uh, some other guys stepped up in the absence of O'Reilly. So Kane came back, played 22 minutes right off the bat. Oposo played almost 22 minutes. Uh, Ristolainen played 30 minutes in this game. I know it went into overtime, but he, he was out there pretty much the entire overtime. Uh, and then you saw Johan Larson had to step up further. He played about 18 and a half minutes and kind of spread throughout the rest of the lineup. A lot of guys played a little bit more than they typically would. Reinhardt played 21 minutes in this game. Uh, so I didn't love Reinhardt in his, uh, in his performance stepping up to fill that void left by O'Reilly. I thought he struggled tonight, and uh, the numbers do bear that out. He was hit seven Corsi for, 17 Corsi against, and uh, they just weren't generating chances with him on the ice, really. And uh, it concerns me a bit when you have a number two overall pick. I know I talked a lot about Sam Reinhart in, I believe it was my previous podcast episode, but talking about how we need to be patient with him and we can't expect him to be a world beater right off the bat necessarily. But continually when he gets put into higher leverage situations as a center, he isn't that effective, isn't as effective as I would hope that he would be. So I don't know if it's going to take him time to just pick up that position at the NHL level. I know wing is an easier position to adjust to. Tons of players have followed that sort of progression where they came in, were broken in at wing, eventually were able to make the transition to center, and then were very high-level centers in this league. So I'm not hitting the panic button or anything, but this is another instance where Reinhardt, a lot a lot fell on his shoulders because of Eichel already being out and then O'Reilly being out for this contest and he wasn't really able to be effective so that's something to watch when he gets opportunities at center again moving forward. I would like to see him get more opportunities there but this team isn't in a position where I think they can afford to go through the growing pains with him at center and it's not like they really have the wing depth to make up for him staying over at center long-term, unless, of course, say O'Reilly was to be injured long-term. They wouldn't really have another choice other than to have Reinhardt at center. But Bilesma also, I think, is fighting for his job this year. I would be surprised if he was fired after the year, but he will certainly be on the hot seat if this kind of performance continues. They're sitting at 5-5-4 and now, which I think is better than they've played. I think the record makes it look like they've been somewhat average, you know, hovering below average. They've hung around in the playoff race, basically. They're doing enough to stay alive, I think. And so they'll at least have it, have a shot when Eichel gets back, assuming they continue to play at this sort of rate. And they're continuing to, to get points. They're getting games to overtime. Uh, but I don't know how sustainable it is to even keep getting points at this pace with the way that they've played. They've had a couple lucky wins throughout, and they've had a couple unlucky losses, and they've been very unlucky in overtime in the shootout, which I'll probably talk about a little bit. But Bilesman is fighting for his job, so I don't think he's going to keep throwing Reinhardt in its center unless he absolutely has to because he can't afford to waste time grooming somebody there. They've got to win this year, or he could be out of a job. So back to the games. Um, I, I thought that... 
uh, one line that stuck out in the Ottawa game was the fourth line. They generated a goal. Nick Baptiste got his second goal in the NHL. The first one was uh, the definition of a garbage goal, pretty much. Bounced off some bodies in front and managed to go in. This one was a snipe, though, uh, and right over Condon's shoulder. And uh, it was nice to see them get rewarded with a goal. I thought they were pretty effective tonight. Uh, That was probably, I think, their best game together. I know Cole Schneider hasn't been up here, but that fourth line's best game in a while. And now Grant and Baptiste have kind of become mainstays recently since uh, Baptiste came up on that one line. They've been a consistent pair. Uh, So it was nice to see them get rewarded with a goal and to see Baptiste get rewarded with a goal. I think he's shown some pretty nice flashes, and I'm excited to see what kind of role he ends up in ultimately in his in his NHL career. Jake McCabe I liked again in uh, in the Ottawa game. I thought he he played quite well. I thought he and he and Franson together they had relatively um, easier minutes than they have in, in some other games. A lot of offensive zone starts. Uh, but they did quite well with those minutes and McCabe continues to stick out as being one of this team's top defensemen. I also thought it was great to see Rasmus Rusalainen and Dmitry Kulikov getting a lot of minutes together. I've been harping on that, <clears throat> saying that you can't expect Risto with the kind of minutes and the kind of pressure that is put on him just due to having to be the guy pretty much on the back end that he needs to be with a competent partner. And Josh Georges is not that competent partner. So having him with Kulikov I liked a lot. I think that pairing could be something effective moving forward. But then Kulikov, of course, was banged up and ended up missing the New Jersey game. So Justin Falk stepped into the lineup. And that ended up putting a lot more pressure on the uh, McCabe-Franson pairing in the next game. And I thought they struggled relative to how they performed in the Ottawa game. Uh, so this is, once again, I'm going to harp on the defensive depth. And this is this is on Tim Murray having Justin Falk as your eighth defenseman in the organization, I think you were bound to have times like this, and it's happened early in the season, earlier than I would have expected, but you're going to have times now where you have to use Justin Falk, and they very well have to have to use Eric Bergdorfer or somebody else from down in the minors, and you are not going to win many games having to do that. And there were opportunities to bolster the depth in this team. They could have kept eight defensemen potentially up with the big club. I prefer that. I know they've talked that they they prefer 14 forwards and seven defensemen. I like having eight defensemen up with the big club, though. I would much prefer 18 forward, or 13 forwards, eight defensemen. And then you can always, if really push comes to shove, you can always dress seven defensemen and either double shift somebody in the fourth line or throw a defenseman up and have them play up and down in the wing for five minutes a game if you have to dress that seventh defenseman if you're caught somewhere and you can't call somebody up to replace somebody that's injured up front. So I much prefer the eight defensemen. And there were a lot of vets available out there that were looking for jobs late into the preseason, late into training camp. There were players available out there. They could have bolstered the depth and been able to keep somebody like Justin Falk down the minors. So I was not going to make the difference between the Sabres making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Probably not. You know, would the would a vet that they brought in have been head and shoulders above Justin Falk? No. But 
Rochester's getting killed by this too. And I think that's kind of the the unseen part of the lack of depth is that Rochester, I can't see them having a good season. And they haven't had a great start. But I can't see them finishing strong because the Sabres are going to be continually pulling from them all year. And yes, that happens with every team. There are a lot of injuries throughout an 82-game season. But I think the Sabres could have done a much better job just bolstering the depth throughout the organization so that these players they were bringing up weren't as much of a hit to Rochester. I don't want to keep rehashing the same things that I discuss on a lot of these podcasts. I don't want to continually talk about depth. Uh, I did like the Foligno-Larsen-Gianta line quite a bit in the second game. I thought they actually had one of their lesser performances of the year in the Ottawa game, but in the New Jersey game, I thought they had a pretty strong game. Once again, the numbers do bear that out, kind of what my impression was watching the game, but uh, they were good in terms of Corsi, among the best players on the team in, in terms of Corsi, and they always have tough uh, tough matchups against other forward lines. They're typically playing against the first or second forward lines of the other team, and to be effective and really to come out positive in terms of Corsi or really in terms of looking good in a game, not even talking about statistically, is impressive for them because typically they're playing against one of the other team's top lines. And typically they are getting a lot of defensive zone starts rather than offensive zone starts. So uh, another good performance for them. I know I tend to sing their praises quite a bit, but that unit continues to be pretty good. I didn't love them in that Ottawa game though, but New Jersey, they came back out and played pretty much like they have for most of the season thus far. Um, I didn't talk about uh, Anders Nielsen at all. I thought he had a good performance against uh, against the Devils. Leonard, I said he had a good, not tremendous performance against the Senators. He wasn't God Leonard again, but I thought he came out and had a, had a good game, put him in a position to win. However, I think the Sabres probably did slightly outplay Ottawa in that first game, and they weren't able to pull it out. So I can't say that Leonard had a fantastic performance and didn't do quite enough for them to win despite outplaying the opposition. And then in the New Jersey game, I thought the Sabres were thoroughly outplayed. They were outshot quite a bit. Once again, they were penalized a lot. They had 12 penalty minutes, and they were outshot, I believe, as 43-29 to by the Devils. Uh, and... It's difficult to win those types of games, so Nielsen did enough to get them into overtime. I thought he looked quite good. There isn't much of a drop-off for this team when Nielsen's playing, and the Sabres, over a lot of my history watching this team, have struggled with backup goalies, with having quality backup goalies, and a big part of that was Lindy Ruff being the coach for so long, and he would ride his starter so hard that when the when the backup did finally get into the game, a lot of times they were rusty and you pretty much could chalk it up as a loss when a Sabres backup played. I remember back um, to Bob Asenza having a year where I don't think he had a single win as a Sabre, and he was the backup for an entire season. Um, and there are a lot of examples of that. Uh, Jocelyn Tebow, Ty Conklin, uh, really example after example. Lindy wouldn't really use Jonas Enroth very much when he was the backup here. Um, really, the the last great backup you could think of was Martin Baran. Uh, but they've struggled with that historically 
for in most seasons that I've watched this team, backup goaltending has been an issue. However, in the, in this game, and really Anders Nielsen thus far has been pretty good, and there's not a huge drop off from Leonard to Nielsen. So I was critical of the trade. Not that a fifth round pick is that big of a deal, but considering that there were a lot of goalies out there just looking for a team that would give them a shot in the NHL, and Jonas Enroth is somebody I think of, uh, where he didn't sign till very late in the offseason. There were a lot of guys like that, that they traded a pick in order to get Anders Nielsen. I was a little bit perplexed by that. But I think he's performed about as well as you could have expected thus far, and goaltending isn't the issue on this team. Now, is goaltending going to be what carries under the playoffs? I don't know about that. I don't know if Leonard has that long of a hot streak in him, and I talk a lot on this about him being streaky. So I think you are going to see ups and downs from him consistently, but they're not going to be the reason why they don't make the playoffs. The reason why they don't make the playoffs is far more likely to be the defense isn't very good or they can't score. Probably they can't score is the number one reason. Uh, But goaltending I've been pleasantly surprised with so far. I think it's slightly exceeded my expectations. I think Leonard's done pretty well, and Nielsen has been better than expected. I know he played pretty well for a portion of last season with Edmonton. Uh, So hopefully that's the goalie that he is moving for. Another big Swedish goalie, which is obviously what Murray loves. So I think that's why he was willing to give up a pick for him rather than I'm using Enroth as an example of what was out there on the free agent market rather than sign somebody undersized that I don't think Murray believes in the the sustainability of those undersized goaltenders. I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss the uh, the overtime in the New Jersey game and that penalty shot call that ended up resulting in the loss. Andy Green, that'll be the first and last shootout he gets or uh, penalty shot he gets in the NHL, guaranteed. But he got in. You know, coming in at an angle, Evander Kane came in, held him, definitely a penalty, and they called it a penalty shot. And I couldn't believe it when I saw it. But I have seen, watching Sabres games over the years, I have seen 10 more blatant breakaways where somebody did have a step on everybody else not be called penalty shots. And I don't know if it's just me wanting to find a boogeyman to blame when it's been very frustrating to be a Sabres fan over the years, but it does seem like so many calls go against this team. And not that this team is effective typically in the overtime or in the shootout, but at the same time you have calls that seem to go against them and end up helping to contribute to them losing. So that was just very frustrating, and I couldn't believe it when I saw that call made. And for them to... So in the Ottawa game, they probably played the best I've ever seen them play in the three-on-three overtime since the three-on-three overtime was instituted. And, of course, they end up losing in the shootout. And they've, they're horrible in the shootout. I can't think of a season when they've been good in the shootout. Maybe immediately post-lockout, they were good in the shootout. And they really haven't been good since. It's been eight to ten years since they've been good in the shootout. And I'm not basing that on anything statistically, so please... Prove me wrong, uh, but and I haven't looked at what their record has been or what their percentages have been, so this is anecdotal and based on just my memory, but anytime they go to a shootout, I expect them to lose, and typically it feels like I'm vindicated, uh, but for them to play so well in that overtime and not be able to get a goal, 
and of course losing the shootout, and then getting to another overtime, and you hope, okay, can they can can they continue the momentum they had in that three-on-three overtime from the Ottawa game, and then 30 seconds in, they end up losing on this BS call. Now, very well, the uh, the Devils could have ended up scoring on that four-on-three power play. Who am I to say what would have happened otherwise? But I'll take my chances with the penalty versus a penalty shot in that situation. So that was extremely frustrating. But if they had managed to win that game, it would have been them winning a game in which they were outplayed. And I was kind of happy they just got it to overtime. So them coming out with two points in these two games, I'm not mad I'm not mad about because they were missing O'Reilly in the first game. I was happy they played as well as they did. I thought they should have come out with a win. You know, they... Even after it got to overtime, they definitely outplayed Ottawa in overtime thoroughly. I mean, they dominated that overtime period. But coming into the game thinking, okay, O'Reilly's out, they're probably going to lose this in regulation, almost certainly. So for them to get a point, I was okay with that. And then in the New Jersey game, they were outplayed thoroughly throughout that whole game, or throughout most of that game. So I was happy they just got it to overtime and got a point. Um, so they play New Jersey again tonight. I'm recording this on Saturday. They, they play New Jersey again. It's a home-and-home home series. So we'll have a rematch with the two starters, with Robin Leonard and Corey Schneider. And uh, I'm expecting probably another 2-1 to one finish. These teams just are not an exciting matchup. So I'm expecting it to be another laborious game to get through watching as a fan. I hope that I'm proven wrong. You know, these teams do have some skill and some exciting players, but it's just the styles that that each of them play that are frustrating to watch, I think. Uh, So hopefully I'll have an episode out either later tonight or tomorrow going over what my opinions were of the the game tonight. So hopefully hopefully I'll be talking about a Sabres win and be able to be upbeat. Thanks for listening.